This one's gonna punch me right in the journalism degree. Well, I'm gonna talk about eco-terrorism. Got too excited about jorts. I'm leaving now with my Roomba or your blood on my hands. I'm back, back on my bullshit. What is meme if not airhorn persevering? No, this is this is not a family show. And I quote, many American titties. Why'd you have to bring Dane Cook to this, Andrew? No one wanted that. Oh, you guys are not ready for what I've got today. And I've apparently hit the very end of my attention span. Give me like 30 seconds, I'm looking for rhymes. Hello and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right, but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and how game developer Firaxis and publisher 2K Games not only created a game featuring Matt's favorite Marvel properties, scientifically engineered for him to hate, but at the same time, also strategically weaves together XCOM-style squad-based tactics for Todd, collectible card game combat for Kyle, <laughs> and an in-depth persona-like social incant mechanic for me. Marvel's Midnight Suns was scientifically engineered in a lab for debate this. Have you already downloaded it? Are you playing it? I It's on my PlayStation. I haven't, I, I've got to finish Rabbids first, and then I'm going to yeah. do it. I do not have a, a means by which to play it, and the, that brings me great sadness i will i will likely be streaming it if anyone if anyone wants to give me an xbox um I'm <laughs> is it on, I'll, be, xbox. I'll be doing a subathon for kyle's xbox <laughs> <laughs> is it not on switch it's not on switch oh. yet at least yeah i watch was andrew play it then yeah i was led to believe it would be on switch and then the, uh, upon release day i come to find i was lied to the day this comes out is the 13th there is a very good chance that tomorrow I will be streaming on twitch.tv slash debate this cast. And if I'm not, sorry. <laughs> this is all just further proof that I am the younger brother black sheep of this podcast. I feel left out of these celebrations. It's coming to Switch in 2023. Ugh, Who cares? So far away. <laughs> well, <laughs> Matt. Speaking of things that all of us equally unilaterally enjoy. Today's Ooh. flavor text is absolutely <laughs> dripping with nostalgia. Now, guys, picture this. It's Gooey, three sticky nostalgia. <laughs> Gooey, gross nostalgia. Picture this. It is 3.28 p.m. The sun is shining, and you've just stepped off the school bus after a long day of watching the clock anticipating 3.28 p.m. <laughs> you approach the front door of your house, dreaming of the next episode of Dragon Ball Z that airs in seven minutes on Toonami, and you look down to pick up the stack of mail that's sitting on your doorstep. Among the boring bills and lame ads, you see it. A wondrous explosion of color and crude 3D animation, accompanied by random mentions of Mario and Star Fox. <laughs> that's right, boys. The monthly Nintendo Power is here. Oh, finally. It's Nudie Magazine Day! <laughs> <laughs> Much in the same way, I can't wait to unfold the trifold yeah. full-length poster. This is a fourth grade fantasy, not an eighth grade fantasy. <laughs> you rush inside and rip open the plastic, get a good whiff of that freshly new minted ink. You look at the clock on the oven. You still have about six minutes until DBZ time. So you head to the bathroom to start reading up on the latest news and reviews because you do all your reading in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. Hmm. So yeah, we're talking about Nintendo Power today. It's going to be a good time. Um, before we get into it, special quick special thanks to our valued editor at large of Butt Thwomp Nation at Bacon Bit Behemoth uh, for commissioning today's episode. 
Well, if you've listened to the last few DT episodes, you've likely heard that we are, in fact, changing up the process for our flavor texts here in the new year. Starting in January, if you out there want to commission your own flavor text, you no longer have to join a tier at a certain level and be subscribed for three months. No. All you have to do... <laughs> no, it's worse than that no, now. <laughs> it's different. It's not better. It's different. All you have to do is hop on over to patreon.com slash debate this cast and pay a one-time payment of $60. Long-time listeners will remember this is how flavor texts used to work back when we first introduced them before we added the $25 tier. So basically, we're just we're getting rid of the $25 tier. We're reverting back to flavor text being a one-time thing. So real quick, just once again, patreon.com slash debate this cast. Join up at Master Debater. You will get charged once. You will get charged one time, just like before, Go put process your payment and then swap out and then go. You can go down to a tier, do whatever. I'm not your dad. Um, we will then reach out to you and we'll uh, we'll figure out logistics and you'll be added to the list of commissions. Cool. All right. With that out of the way, today's flavor text is so packed with power that it can't be handled by just one measly host. <laughs> so, please welcome to the show the Nestor to my Howard, Kyle, cream of banana soup. Harper. <laughs> In addition, we are joined by Matt, crush me, big monkey, crush me, Cole, and Todd. You're telling me that this rumble pack actually lets players feel the game? Thomas. 90s advertising was such a trip. It was a I, lawless I, land. I, so... Mild spoiler for later, I won't say what. I went digging for a specific ad through Nintendo yeah. Powers today. 90s ads are buck wild. They're, um, they're so good. And and I, we're going to talk about it because you can't talk about Nintendo's American mm-hmm. promotional campaigns when you're talk- without talking about <laughs> Nintendo Power. Um, there are a few choice ones that will forever be embedded in my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's man, some real highlights. Um, <clears throat> look, I... I know we all have some experience with Nintendo Power here. How how could you not? Um, but I w- I'm wondering. I have a feeling it's different. It's at different times during the run of the mag. So I'd love to go around instead of like what's your instead of saying like are you familiar with it? Um, I want to hear each of everyone's experiences with the Nintendo Power. And were you a subscriber? Did you just buy off of the shelves? And if if you were a subscriber, uh, do you remember when? Um, start, Kyle, let's start with you. Um, I was a subscriber. Um, I subscribed, I think, 1999 to about 2006, maybe 2000. Um, I subscribed for a while. Um, I love Nintendo Power. Um, I first, my first Nintendo Power thing was the um, Pokemon Red and Blue guide and Pokedex that they put out before I ever subscribed. Um, and then that at some point spun into a subscription somewhere along the line, mm-hmm. um, probably through my school's magazine yearly magazine drive is when I first. Oh, you did a magazine subscribe. drive for school? That's cool. Oh yeah. Oh, we oh. did too. Um, yeah. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. No, we never did that. We won. You could win Weebles, which were little craft pom poms with feet glued. Feet yeah, they wobble, eyes. but they oh. don't fall down. Nope, that was different. different. But um, yeah, those those five cents of craft supplies really got um, our school to to hustle magazines for this company. Wow! Um, and I got Nintendo Power through that 
and I loved so every every issue of it. Um, some of some of them are still in my parents' house in various states of um, destruction because <laughs> I was a child and didn't know what collecting things meant. Uh, Matt, what about you? Uh, I would just like to copy and paste Kyle's answer here. Uh, I think I had almost the exact same experience. I think the guide to Pokemon Blue was maybe the first thing that I got from Nintendo Power. Um, and then I remember having a Nintendo official gold and silver guide. And I don't know if that was Nintendo Power related or not. But I learned way, today that a lot of those guides were written by Nintendo Power. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. well, then yep. there you go. I would mm-hmm. say that most of my like Nintendo Power memories come from the guides. I assume, I think that I was a subscriber at some point in probably a similar vein as Kyle, whether it was mm-hmm. like from a Scholastic Book Fair or I, my school did magazine drives. I think my Boy Scout troop did magazine drives. Um, I was subscribed to a lot of magazines as a kid because I like to pretend that I read, even though I did not. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I liked looking at the pictures. But most of my memory of Nintendo Power is clinging to those guides for um, yep. a lot for of dear, Game Boy dear lives. Yeah, because yeah. if it wasn't, man, if it wasn't on GameFAQs, I didn't know how to do it until yeah, I found it in a Nintendo guide. So, there yeah, you go. We're going to talk about that and GameFAQs a lot today. Uh, Todd, what about you? Yeah, so I my first introduction into Nintendo Magazine was definitely getting one of my grandparents just buy me the magazine off of the shelf. Whenever I'd go grocery shopping with either one of my grandparents as like a child... I would always just like sneak a game magazine, like a PC gamer mm-hmm. or a game informer or a Nintendo magazine into a cart. And at some point, one of my parents made the fatal flaw to let me buy a subscription to Nintendo Power that I'm positive just kept like reissuing itself. <laughs> yep. um, mm-hmm. It was on autopay. <laughs> right, right. And I was trying to timestamp it. And I could not tell you when I started, but I think it was like 98. Um, it would have been 97, 98, because I know one of the like the, the core defining memories. If you remember the ads for Smash Bros. 64. Um, yeah. And I remember the, the corresponding Nintendo power that went with that. And Smash Bros. came out in uh, 99. So I'm guessing it was like 98. And, um, yeah, every month would get that, uh, even went through a little bit of a game informer phase as well with it. Mm-hmm. I canceled my subscription around 2005. It had gotten out of control. The number of issues, <laughs> if you think about <laughs> it, one wild. a month for like seven years, um, a lot of magazines just like sitting around a lot of those yep. trifold posters that I'd be like, Oh, this is great. And I'd put it on my wall. Um, and I'm pretty sure at one point I stepped back and I was like, what has my life become? What am I doing with all these <laughs> magazines? Because the 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 spine would make an image. Um, yep. Every yeah. like yep. six yeah. to eight issues, maybe even 10 or 12 if they did it by the year, would be like a Mario or a Pikachu or a Link or a Samus. And I just remember at a certain point in time, I didn't get rid of any of them. And I was like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I similarly, so my Nintendo power phase is a little bit earlier. Um, I, like we talked about on the last flavor text, like I had a super Nintendo and super Mario world came out and, uh, I was really young when I had my super Nintendo. 
So I had like mostly platformers and stuff, but I didn't really like seriously get in, start getting into those types of games until Donkey Kong Country. So I remember I have a very vivid memory of like dragging my parents to the Galleria Mall in South Hills, Pennsylvania, um, right outside of Pittsburgh, and like <clears throat> going from like newsstand to newsstand looking for a fucking Donkey Kong Country like player's guide. And I remember <laughs> the first issue of Nintendo Power I got was because it had like maps for Donkey Kong Country, which I know is like a very common, you know, experience. Right. Um, I. I and then similarly, like I would buy occasion or issues occasionally at the grocery store. Uh, my subscription period was most of the N sixty four period, so I went from like ninety five to ninety eight. Oh and wow! Then, mm-hmm. And then I dipped out, and I dipped back in. So like my grandparents would always like that was a thing was like we want to gift you like pick a magazine to subscribe to because it's like I can buy it's like I can, I'm buying my grandchild my grandson a book but it's not really a book it's a mag it's something to read you know. So yeah. like Matt, you know, this is me pretending to read. I mean, that's how I have a yeah. uh, Marvel Unlimited subscription right now. <laughs> I love my <laughs> sure. grandma very much. Sure. She's well, a nice my, lady. I had some, my grandparents all died out by like 2001. So um, my so then I had a, I re-upped a subscription um, around the GameCube launch. So I had another year, maybe two years that I and I like put up all the posters i had the big like metroid prime poster in my basement you know all that stuff and then i flipped hard to game informer and once game informer Cause was edgy because it's edgy because i liked the journalism <laughs> <laughs> right um so i i flipped pretty hard over to game informer and i actually i was a game informer diehard because f- i had a ps2 um pretty much until the end of, until high school um until five, I, five or six yeah i flipped to game informer in high school and yeah. that and it was literally like you can the rule was we will pay for one video game magazine that, subscription yep, yep you swap one and, out for the other yeah um cool there was also a sports illustrated for kids subscription in there um that was like the one year i didn't do <laughs> nintendo power i don't know what i was that was I, I checked the wrong box i think i don't know go ahead matt no, it's fine. I mean, I was I had a car magazine for a while that I yeah. absolutely was never into, but um I have a very strong memory of having the Nintendo Power with the Super Mario Sunshine cover. That's like uh, you know, if I'm going to time stamp my memories outside of the uh gold and silver and the red and blue guides, it was the Super Mario Sunshine um, okay. era. So that would have been like 2001. Yeah. Um, I bring it up later. The one burned into my memory is the um, Melee, the Super Smash Bros. Melee issue. The GameCube launch had some really good cover. Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's some really, really fantastic covers. Yeah. Um, Especially in those later years, honestly. All right. Yeah. Let's jump into it. So the format for today, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'm going to, so I'm going to, Kyle and I are going to kind of go back and forth. We've the way that we've mapped this out is we're going to go through kind of the timeline, the lifetime of Nintendo Power. I'm going to talk a little bit about the history, some factoids, um, kind of like what was going on with Nintendo at the time, and then I'll kick it to Kyle to go over some highlights on certain issues, different covers, things like just some fun things that were that were going on in this period to show how the magazine was evolving and changing over time. So. To kick things off, let's talk about the birth and rise of Nintendo Power. So anybody who knows you know, anything about video game history 
knows that Nintendo in Japan uh, originally started as a toy manufacturer. And they made Hana Flora cards. Um, they made in the 70s, they made all kinds of like toy, different kinds of uh, interactive toys. Um, definitely like burgeoning on electronics. Um, and of course, they got full, they, they went in hard on electronics after creating Donkey Kong, um, which was an arcade game in 1981. Um, that's history that everybody knows. They, after the massive success of Donkey Kong, uh, they pretty much like that was the stake in the ground. Like, all right, we make electronics now. So they uh, began development on the Famicom, the Famicom Disk System, which eventually released in Japan in February of 1986. Um, this is was eventually known as the Nintendo Entertainment System in America, of course. <laughs> now, whereas in Japan, arcades were and still are a huge success arcade culture is enormous in japan it is a thing that people do very very regularly it is a normal hangout spot for kids for teens whatever things in america though in the west were a little bit different um arcades definitely had a boom you know during pac-man galaga the late 70s but by and even in donkey kong there was a little bit of a later resurgence but um in america by by 1983, video games had pretty much gone away. Um, there were arcades. Arcades were closing in droves. There were tons of just like abandoned machines left and right. It is considered. It is very much known as the video game crash of '83. Um, after the video game crash, a lot of companies like Atari was losing money. They had just released the um, the system. The, what was the 2600? Uh, a lot of these companies were, you know, coming up. This was like a dot-com burst, right? A lot of these companies had come come up and, and been in busted overnight. So, Andrew, you're talking like mm. Dave & Buster's is not a very yeah. successful uh, <laughs> yeah. franchise See in the United Chuck States. See also Chuck E. Cheese, right? See yeah. also Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, arcades are definitely a thing, but, but nowhere. And, and I don't think ever rose to the popularity that they, they were in the 70s and they are today in Japan. So, I say this only to contextualize why Nintendo of Japan had some trepidation and why people in America had a lot of trepid hesitation in bringing that stuff to the States. It was not considered to be a wise business move. Um, that said, though, uh, Nintendo of America opened shop to distribute uh, Donkey Kong arcades in, early, in the early 80s. And this brings us to the man who single-handedly made Nintendo a thing in America. I am not talking about Mario's daddy, Shigeru Miyamoto. Rather, I am talking about Mario's adopted American Exchange Program daddy, the squeaky clean, bow-tie-clad Howard Phillips. Um, and as always, as, most, as we usually do, we have an imager, imager file in the notes. Um, you listening at home can follow along. This is image one. So we are looking at Howard Phillips. Do, do any of you guys know who this guy is? Yes. Matt, you do? I, I feel yeah. like I've heard the name, and I do not, I, I'm not connecting it right now. I, I do, but I yeah. did research. You for did this the research episode. for this episode. <laughs> yeah, so I'll tell Phil so for Todd's sake. And for people listening at home, Howard Phillips was very much an early gaming icon, um, kind of like the the lawful good Nolan Bushnell. <laughs> I don't know. that joke was at least for Matt. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah. So you know, we talked a lot about when in the in the birthplace of comics in the fifties, we talked a lot about the comics code. 
Howard Phillips is definitely connected to the video game version of that. But more importantly, Howard Phillips, I think the best way to to the best way to describe Howard Phillips is he's the very first localizer in gaming history. So Howard Phillips as a teen <clears throat> was a huge fan of arcades through that the boom of the 70s and he carried that passion through the early 80s and a friend of him a friend of his connected him to a warehouse job with the then newly formed Nintendo of America. Um, and, th- and Nintendo of America at the time was just a warehouse in uh, Tukwila, Tuck- Tuck- Washington. Uh, Howard Phillips was Nintendo of America's fifth employee. Just oh, wow. to show you how small wow. of a scale. Like, this was literally just like a distribution operation. Yeah. So they Howard were sending Phillips. Out, sending out Donkey Kong. Yep, just, case, just shipping cases. Donkey Kong yeah. machines. Yep. Um, so Howard Phillips, his initial responsibility was just manage the warehouse. Again, a team of like eight people. Um, but you can imagine being such part of such a small team, he and the rest of the warehouse workers were literally the only conduit between this like board of execs in Japan and the entire American art audience. Um, that was it. You know, like they had no line in, they had no American affiliate or that was the American affiliate. So like they had no idea how their stuff was doing in America other than like looking at business sales figures. And, uh, Howard, being such an avid gamer already, he and being a white dude, he quickly gained a reputation <laughs> internally for being the like, basically offering himself up as a consultant. Like he was the guy that had been like, "Hey, this is doing really well here. This is not doing so well here." Right? Like just kind of giving a lot of that well, really well needed feedback to the Japanese developers. Um, so when it was time to launch the Famicom stateside. Howard Phillips was literally on the front lines in developing the marketing strategy. Um, an interview, and a couple of interviews. He's done a ton of interviews. Like he's done an interview with every major gaming site at this point. Um, but he talks about how like he was working, you know, 24-hour days, seven days a week, yada yada yada, on the launch of the Famicom, trying to figure out like how do we package this thing and sell it to an American audience. Anyone who knows, and again, anyone who who knows a lot about the history of the NES will also know that the NES did not launch with Super Mario Bros. The NES's first year, when it came out in 1987? 87? 87. 87, 88, somewhere around there. Launched with uh, two pack-in games. The first was Duck Hunt and Mm -hmm. the NES Zapper, and the other was uh, Gyroscope. Was it Gyroscope, Matt? Am I saying that Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, everyone's favorite Rob, their little no the little gyromite. Robot. I'm so gyromite. sorry. Gyromite. Thank you. Eur- gyromite. Euroscope. Euroscope. Eur- yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's very good. Oh um, boy, I need an animation of a very Mediterranean <laughs> Rob yeah. the robot. It's, it's I, I Rob, want, but he shaves meat off the. I cyclone. was gonna say I want I want Rob <laughs> just like shaving meat off of the uh, off the hunk off the hunch. cone. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Um, I I just want to also contribute this is the six this is like the success story of so many like white nerds at this time of just Mm -hmm. like the wild west yeah it was like like, oops i stumbled into a successful business strategy and i was one of and i was like in washington so i'm one of the first 10 people on the ground and now i'm a millionaire like Exactly. I mean, amazing. Very, very well said. This, this was the, this was the time to, to be a, a white nerd (laughs) in business. Um, 
but and, and we don't need to get into the specifics in the history of the NES, but I do find it very interesting. The original marketing strategy was to not sell it as a video game console. It was a toy. The NES Zapper, the Rob, right? These were yeah. all interactive toys. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Super Mario Bros. came out a year later where they were really comfortable with being like, okay, here's the controller. Here, this is a video game. Um, so, yeah. So, <clears throat> at following the NES launch, I would say Howard Phillips, one of his two biggest contribu- contributions to Nintendo history was through this set of standards that would define which Nintendo games, which NES games, Nintendo would license and produce in the U.S. This would eventually be recognized as the Nintendo seal of approval. This is that that little gold mark sticker mark that appears on basically any NES box. This is very much like the comics code um, in the 60s. This is the code that dictated that NES games would be more or less family-friendly. They would be free of, from you know, mass de- depictions of, of violent gore, violence and gore, sexuality, or religious themes and iconography. So this is why, for example, why crosses were moved from the original Castlevania, or why Ness wears pajamas in Magikant in Earthbound. Um, and image two is that uh, that Nintendo seal of approval. Everyone has seen this before. I right. I thought the Nintendo seal of approval, and it's possible it's both mm-hmm. reasons. I thought that came about because a a like glut of shovelware almost uh, killed the NES as yes, well. Yes, yes to both. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, th- this was this was all part of their like, how do we localize this and make this marketable in the in the U.S. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, Howard Phillips' other major major contribution to Nintendo was the creation of a toll-free telephone number that kids, mostly aimed at kids at the time, could call and speak to a real live game counselor that was employed by Nintendo, <laughs> I love this so aka much. the dream job that I always wanted until age thir- fifteen. Um, yep that they could call to get tips or help with a certain Nintendo game, and for a long time, this was totally free. Mm-hmm. Um, did yeah. any of you guys use uh, call the the helpline? We had, we had the internet by then, and therefore no longer needed it. Okay, I did consider. I think I considered it once, and I was not allowed because my parents were afraid of a yeah. toll, like toll numbers. Yeah, it was but really expensive. It, it when it became a nine hundred number, it was not cheap. Mm, okay, okay, Todd. Um, I I did not call the 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 line, though always tempted to do so. Yeah. So um, I did. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that when I when I went to see the Earthbound documentary at PRGE a couple years ago, they interviewed some of the guys that were part of that. That's awesome. And that what you could have never known back then is these were just, just adults, just, just adults, just adults that had the game a week before you did. Yep. yep. Like that's yep. like uh, truly it. I think the one of the most remarkable things is just to understand the scale of this whole operation right. is so much smaller than you think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I do remember I did call the toll free number once and it was to learn how to get past the first level of tiny tunes adventures, colon buster busts loose. Um, wow. It was my first, it was, it was the, my first super Nintendo game that my parents bought for me. I was maybe four years old, maybe five. And back then, my dad was so just, like, amazed with the technology that we would play a lot together in the summers. And I remember, like, just not understanding how to play, how to beat this first level. 
and like he got really frustrated because like we would play like Mario World and stuff together, and he was just like, "Fuck it." <laughs> <laughs> we opened the instruction manual. He's like, I'm calling the number. We put it on speakerphone. And the guy was like super, he was just super nice. And he was explaining like, oh, you have to do this thing. It's like, I didn't know what I was doing. I was four years old and I didn't read the instruction manual. So I didn't no. know how to play the game. It was just, it was, it was a very nice, very wholesome experience. I never called the tip line, uh, but I will say in like 2017, 2018, when I bought my Super Nintendo, I was having some hardware problems with my Super Nintendo, and I flipped it over to call the uh, oh, toll-free yeah. or the like um, support line number on the bottom of the Super mm-hmm. Nintendo, which is still the Nintendo support line number, and they asked for the serial number of my Super Nintendo, and I gave it to them, and they helped me fix my problem. Yeah. So. Good, good things yeah. to say about Nintendo phone lines. Wow, N- Nintendo customer service is great. They helped me unbrick my Wii U when I downloaded Breath of the Wild on it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, so this was this was great. This was another way that they were, you know, trying to evangelize Nintendo to to young kid players. Um, so along with a woman named Gail Tilden, who was Nintendo of America's f- uh, first director of marketing. Um, Phillips and Tilden expanded this game counselor line into a free membership program called the Nintendo Fun Club. And this is a a club, a free club that you could join. Members would, as a part of the club, would receive a copy of the periodical Nintendo Fun Club News. And this is shown as image three. So this is the first issue of Nintendo Fun Club News. That is so quaint. Right? It's a zine. They did a zine. Yeah. They did a zine. Yeah, I kind of really like this font. I love that it. Uh-huh. Club News is in. Yeah, uh-huh. I love it. If I was still in, like, it, it would be like the perfect, just like independent, you know, like zine. It's it's just a perfect zine. <laughs> Guys, let's start a zine. Let's <laughs> turn the <laughs> this into a zine. It's it's the new. We should start a band. We should do a zine. <laughs> Um, so Nintendo Fun Club News, the zine, went on for seven issues. It was um, like a bi- like a bi-monthly thing until it was ultimately scrapped and replaced with a, an official, more robust magazine named Nintendo Power. Um, Nintendo Power uh, placed Gail Tilden as its editor-in-chief, and her marketing team was basically its, edit- its editorial staff. So when I say like the scope of these things are so much smaller, it was literally this like this five person marketing team. The entire PR team was just the editorial staff of Nintendo Power, overnight. Um, and it's great. yeah. And then uh, Howard Phillips also uh, served on. He was the senior editor until he left Nintendo a few years later. Um, so the first issue of Nintendo Power was released in August of 1988. Um, this fe- featured a classic, a very iconic claymation illustration of Mario and Wart to promote uh, Super Mario Brothers 2. This was basically the first ever reveal of Super Mario 2, which people would not, people in America would not know until years later was actually a reskinned, different, <laughs> entirely different game. Um, the magazine was mailed out to the 600,000 members of the Nintendo Fun Club. Um, so you could, like this thing. This became a thing fast. Um, in an interview with uh, uh, Complex, was it Complex? Yeah, an interview with Complex. Um, Gail Tilden had said that they ultimately, they eventually sent up to three million copies, all for free. Ooh, wow! Wow! For free. Yep. That's for free. 
amazing. It was. Wow. I mean, this was like this was promotion. You know, this was yeah. how you got yeah. this stuff out. And it definitely. I mean, it obviously paid off. Um, carrying on the tradition of the game counselor line, Nintendo Power in the early stages definitely leaned way harder into the tips, tricks, secrets for all of the existing Nintendo products. It was much less a catalog and much more of like, hey, your parents bought you this game and you don't know what's going on. Here's how to do it. There were full, like these really like elaborate, illustrated, full color maps, walkthroughs and, and you know, strategy, like little mini, mini strategy guides. A lot for like the first couple levels of a game. Um, there were also like recurring sections like Counselor's Corner where people would just write in questions and people and, and the quote unquote experts would answer again just just a dude. Just just, <laughs> just some, some guy people. Some, some guy would answer it. Um, and also classified information, mm-hmm. uh, which I know all of you probably remember. Um, mm-hmm. this feature this was your like secrets and and cheat codes and stuff like that. Um, famously, the very first issue of Nintendo Power in the classified information included the uh, very famous Konami code for Contra that That's grants fine. players 30 lives. Uh, right on. The, the thing that I always looked forward to was the art where people would like... The fan art? The fan, the fan art. art. Um, yeah. They, some of the most amazing stuff would be drawn on the actual envelopes that they would mail mm-hmm. to yeah. Nintendo Power, and it was yeah. always mm-hmm. so cool. It was, it was really cool, and they, that was something that they kept... I mean, Kyle's going to talk about it, but that's something that they kept doing for years and years. Yeah. Um, image four shows just an example of the counselor's corner. So this is a map of the original Metroid, which like, I don't know how you play this game in 1989 and not have a map. Oh, <laughs> like it's, right, like like it's nigh impossible. Yeah. Um, another popular recurring bit in the early days was the comic called Howard and Nestor. Um, the former being Howard Phillips, the a cartoon version of Howard Phillips, and the latter being an original character depicted as the progenitor of a snarky 90s kid. Um, he was just kind of <laughs> like a whatever man, you know. Uh, image five is Howard and Nestor, and this ran for a number of years. Howard and Nestor was a kind of just like a cutesy funnies, like Sunday funnies-esque comic that also had a bunch of like game tips in it. So... It, there was like another version of like, hey, I'm having like I'm having problem. It was trying to recreate the like I'm talking to, about a game to my friends at recess, mm. and you see here that like there's you know it's like Howard the the very like you know dorky guys like what's up <laughs> what's up young child and the young child's like whatever level eight level eight's hidden in the second screen blah 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 <laughs> he's like oh you know it's just it's very very fun um this was this was very popular with the, with readers. Um, so the first couple years sailed by pretty consistent, um, starting with that first issue. Uh, after the release of the Game Boy in 89, uh, Nintendo Power would eventually add a, a new section dedicated to Game Boy. And this is how they did it for a while, which is like, there's Nintendo Power and then there's the Game Boy section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, there is the classified information for Game Boy and the like counselor's yeah. corner for Game Boy, you know? Um, very segregated. Yes, in that very way. segregated. Yeah, yeah. Um, so around 1990, so Nintendo Power when it when it launched was a bi-monthly, which means it came out every other month. And around or 19- did it come out twice a month? Every other month. Bi-monthly is every other month. <laughs> uh, bi-monthly around- is also twice a month. It's not. That's semi-monthly. That's flammable and inflammable. <laughs> those are not. I have recently been instructed that those are not interchangeable terms. My wife may Whatever. or may not be a writer. Anyway, around 1990. <laughs> 
Uh, Nintendo Power went to monthly. So, and then that that was the cadence ever since until it's until it's, its death. Uh, around this time, two more recurring sections popped up uh, called Now Playing and Pack Watch. Uh, now Playing was, you know, just scored reviews of new Nintendo games. And mm-hmm. then Pack Watch was just a list of what's upcoming. So this was your, like, hmm. this was all you got for news and previews, pretty much. And then finally, uh, they added a kind of like a bookend section called Top 30, which was just this, like, billboard-style ranking of top games as v- for that week as voted on by readers. Um, interestingly okay. I couldn't figure out how they determined that while I yeah, was... Yeah, I, I think it was just, it. like, reader feedback and, like, who, sure. who's to say? I mean, it could have been, like, anyone who had an uncle in Nintendo, you know? <laughs> like, it was, like, Tetris and Mario. Like, yeah, actually. yeah. Like, no one's going to argue that. And I don't know if you saw this in your research, Kyle, but I, I saw something and I, I couldn't I couldn't verify it, but it said that um, now playing got a lot of like people people remember now playing and remember the reviews as being very like very very nice to Nintendo games. Um, but I saw hmm. a video that said like actually like there are some games that did not get reviewed very well. Uh, famously. Um, what was it? The Three Stooges was one of the most highest reviewed <laughs> games in the in the NES era, beating the likes of like Super Mario Brothers Two. What? I I peaked I peaked at some scores while I was looking, and mm-hmm. the one that shocked me was um, the Superman sixty four, notorious for being a yeah. broken game <laughs> right. um, from Nintendo yeah. in that time, got a like. Got a four and a half still. Oh, like that's it. so funny. Which <laughs> yeah. was the same score that Super Mario World got. Super Mario got, actually, Super Mario World got like a 4.2. Wow. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, so Howard Phillips left Nintendo in 1991, um, while Gail Tilden would go on to serve as editor-in-chief for the first 10 years of the publication's history until she eventually left to go work on PR for Pokemon. Uh, the... Huh. The July 1991 issue of Nintendo, of Nintendo Power then changes the Howard and Nestor comic to just Nestor's Adventures. Yeah, and that's that's really that's the history of the first era. Um, Kyle, why don't you talk about t- talk about some of the notable issues and highlights? Yeah, so I've got a picture here um, in our in our picture document of the first ever cover of Nintendo Power. Um, just very notable for being. The first ever and having the word free sample copy on the cover. <laughs> um, it's a, like Andrew said, a very colorful uh, clay sculpture of Mario, Mario and Wart from uh, Super Mario World 2. And um, it's got this issue was, um, I, I dug through it. It's got 18 pages on um, like tricks, tips and tricks for Super Mario 2. It's got the entire it like breaks down the entire second quest of legend of zelda um the first legend of zelda and it's just um yeah like you said has all those things that and we talked about it's mario's mostly, colors are wrong and mario's colors <laughs> right. are wrong yeah um well they were wrong in the game because i yeah. went and checked um they matched the game and yeah. mario's colors were wrong because it was not a mario because it was a mario we game <laughs> we can't stress that enough this yeah. was not originally a mario game but was turned into one to sell to us and dumb americans yeah. um yeah it's very um like very artistic and very cool like it was a very cool issue to look through i do recommend if you have the time um search around on archive.com i was able to find um scannings of like every issue up through 
2004 collected. Um, and then they had the rest, like you can definitely find the rest of them on there as well, but they weren't all collected in one easy to, to find spot. Like the first, um, the first, what decade and a half, 20 years, first 20 years of, um, Nintendo powers. So yeah, that's the first issue. It's very cool. Um, and then I included the second issue because this, this is this so is, cool. I love this. Yeah. The vibes changed. The yeah. vibes, <laughs> the sure vibes did. have changed. Um, the word, the word of the week at debate. This is vibes apparently. <laughs> um, but this is for this. The cover is for Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest, and this co- cover is notable because um, it has a it has someone depict a a person in in a costume depicting. Is it Simon Belfort? Is that Belmont? Belmont. Belmont. Um, Simon Belfort made a lot of money illegally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he is holding the decapitated head of Dracula. um, And there is a, there is a skull sitting on top of a cow's heart and like (laughs) mist and blood. It's so metal. Um, It's 14 pages of gory details, Kyle. It's 14 pages of gory details. Um, And I just wanted to include that to be like, look, it was the nineties and, and there were no rules. 1988. It was 1988. There were even it, less rules. It, um, it just like it, it, it is so funny that this is the second issue. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, and that's what I wanted to drive home is like issue one, clay sculpture of Mario right. issue two, man holding Dracula's decapitated head next to a skull. Um, just so rad. Um, the other cool things dirt that came, that like were, Nintendo Power put out during this period. Um, the probably the the most important one after the like initial I- the first issue is um, the Super Mario three Super Mario Brothers three strategy guide. This is not Nintendo Power's first full strategy guide. Um, they did release a few as special issues prior to this. However, this was the first one they did for a popular game um they did a lot of like sports and racing games that you know had middling attraction but like super mario brothers 3 was the game um everyone if you had a nintendo you had this game it was it was the 90s on a on a cartridge and the way and no strategy guide before this point was as in-depth and thorough and well written as this one um, this really set the standard, not just for like Nintendo Power guides, but all strategy guides um, are were so good because this one was so good first. Um, it included like a full power up index, every secret pathway, and in every level, strategies for overcoming every puzzle and platform challenges, as well as like Easter eggs hidden in the game, boss boss fight strategies, just um it's it was 85 pages of just in-depth coverage for again the most popular game at the time um i would not i would not have torn my pokemon strategy guide to shreds reading it over and over and over (laughs) again had this not existed so that's why i wanted to include that and then the other one uh towards the end of the nes era is the Battletoads issue is a very popular one. Uh, this is not- notable for including Nintendo Power's first full-length strategy guide, like, included in 
the subscript the magazine you got mailed to you as a subscription um so like the super mario brothers strategy guide and all the other strategy guides before were like special releases you could order them through nintendo power but they didn't come as um part of your subscription this just like the first half of this issue of nintendo power was all battletoad strategy guide um start to roll credits wow yeah yeah Uh, 40 40 pages uh of this issue were dedicated to a full run of battletoads holy Um, smokes that's ridiculous i love yeah i also love the idea of like because i remember when i'd be like looking at those maps where you'd you'd have it right in front you'd be sitting Mm crisscross applesauce on the floor you'd have it like (laughs) laid out on your lap right and you're like you're looking up at the screen then you pause and you look down you look up the screen. Yep. But I love the idea of like somebody with like a four page fold out of the, the jet bike level <laughs> and like every twenty five seconds just like pausing and like, okay, what's next? <clears throat> yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's that the eighties, the early years. Um, so let's now transition into the Super Nintendo and the N sixty four era. So the September of nineteen ninety one issue of Nintendo Power featured Super Mario World on its cover. Uh, ushering in the new era of the Super Nintendo, which launched in America in August 1991. This issue included a whopping 16 pages dedicated to Super Mario World, which was very much becoming the thing. Um, one game would get its get be the feature, and it was like again, basically, like Kyle said, like basically a mini strategy guide. Um, image uh, nine here in the dock, or I'm sorry, image eight. Excuse me. This is the full color spread of the mario world map um i think this is this is really fun i love this map yeah this brings uh, brings a lot of feelings back <laughs> yeah but like again like imagine just like seeing that like nobody saw a world map before like nobody saw anything like this like you just minds are getting blown left and right now the magazine by this point still looks very much like it did from the beginning um, it's very focused on walkthroughs and tips and tricks. But now with the Super Nintendo, we've got to focus on highlighting new and upcoming games, right? More and more games are coming out. The Game Boy, game Boy has games coming out. NES still has games coming out. So we've got, this, we've got this situation now where the Nintendo Power magazine is effectively split into three sections. And those three sections by 1992-ish are... Nintendo, NES, Super Nintendo, Game Boy. Um, and there, a lot of the reason for that is, you know, this was before console wars were a thing. This was before consoles, like, you know, upgrade. It, was, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't very regular, well-known that you would have to upgrade a console. Even though this was called the Super Nintendo, you know, a lot of people couldn't afford getting a Super Nintendo. Like, why well, already have a Nintendo? So these were, it, these were the, like, a Super Nintendo at mm-hmm. the time, I think, was, like, the equivalent of five six hundred bucks yeah, in like 1991 dollars mm-hmm. yeah it was like a ps5 yeah. except it looked like uh super nintendo like, yeah yeah exactly um and the games were you know there was no ms there was no like general price so a lot of those super nintendo games especially the earlier ones were like 80 bucks in 1991 you know Ooh. like i remember yoshi safari for example with the, with the super scope being a hundred bones in 1992 wow Ooh, boy yeah. Or ninety three, whatever launch. So yeah, I mean that was just that was just the landscape. You know, Earthbound launched at like eighty eighty dollars retail price. So because of all that, NES games were still getting made. 
right? NES games were getting made. Mega Man 6 came out in like 1992 or 93. Uh, Yoshi was made for both the NES and the Super Nintendo, right? They were still supporting the, the NES a couple years after the Super Nintendo's launch. Because of that, they still, Nintendo Power therefore had to support NES. So you would have these three sections and, and just like the Game Boy, everything had its own kind of thing. So this, this, the magazine was effectively like three smaller magazines, <laughs> which is, you know, very weird, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> and uh, another thing that came out of this era were um, trying to build these franchises, right? We had Super Mario World, we had a Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. You know, these were now the third and fourth installments of these these very now well-known franchises. So I think one of the things Nintendo was trying to do was build up these identities, build up these, these characters. So what you saw in the early 90s were these serial comics on some of these, these franchises. Uh, the image that I've got in here is of the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past comic. This is the last issue of a 12-series serial. So the entirety of 1992, a significant portion of Nintendo Power was reserved for this, like, really cool comic based on A Link to the Past. Yeah. Uh, there was also tight. one. Yeah, really, really, really cool, right? Um, there was also one uh, for Mario as well. And then later, a couple years later, they did one for Star Fox. And they did a couple other ones. Um, I, I'll, I'll talk about had it later but i'll talk about it now the link to the past one was very like very like dramatic adventure comic like very serious yeah it's really and good. the it's it's very good and then the mario one was was more silly was like very like full of jokes like you know it was yeah. the antics of bowser kidnapping was, peach was the super show in, out was the tv show out by this point oh it was like that may have coincided or at least been yeah close. likely um, uh, it for the first episode ran in '89 and ran through '91, okay. so it was yeah definitely out by yeah, yeah. Um, so but but cool they, there's a very um in the first issue there's a very tongue in cheek joke of like uh, they they mention a it's a piperama which is like a reference to that Super Mario Bros. three the whole game takes place in a like on a stage in a diorama and it's <laughs> it's a they they make references to the things fans talked about. They were very plugged into what the fans liked, and it was very cool. I love that. Uh, yeah, so we move on. Um, around 1993, Nintendo Power created the Super Power Club, which was the next iteration of the Nintendo Fun Club. Um, this was offered immediately to any Nintendo Power subscribers, and it was just like, you know, another club Nintendo kind of thing, ex offering extra promotional goods. They could get, like, coupons off of games or trading cards. There was a series of trading cards. And uh, this first introduced the idea of subscriber versions of Nintendo Power. And this is something that Nintendo Power would do on and off through the rest of its life. These So this, this early, like, Super Power Club version, uh, what that would be was subscriber versions would come out like once quarterly quarterly that would be like an extra little booklet inside and it might be like a holiday guide or um one of them was like there was just like a whole ass magazine on like um mega man or one of the Metro mm -hmm. or super metroid or something like that right so just extra content um extra things that you know like hey we, we get your money once a year like here's here's some extra goodies yeah um in October of 1990, God, I'm so excited for this. In October of 1994, <laughs> Nintendo Power subscribers, myself included, were gifted with one of the greatest and weirdest promotional stunts in Nintendo's history. 
any kid who had their address on file with Nintendo of America's marketing department, mostly by way of Toys R Us, woke up to find this absolute banger in their mailbox and or doorstep. And this was shown on image 10. <laughs> I can't imagine the money that was spent for this incredible, very, the time and money yeah. that was spent for this yeah. very yeah. weird thing. So what I am talking about is uh, there was a VHS promotional video that was sent out to promote, to hype up Donkey Kong Country. The VHS was called Donkey Kong Country Exposed. And <laughs> it is just God. this like, that shit crazy 10 minute long VHS tape that is just it I mean it is one massive commercial it is like it is it is made to look like a behind the scenes documentary but it's like the editing choices and the host are so incredibly ridiculously 90s this is a this is an absolute time capsule um, it's it's great I, I'm linked it in the show notes T- take a look if you're, you know, if you were born in the late 80s and you had a Super Nintendo around the time that, that I did, you probably had this tape or had a friend who had this tape. I don't know how I got this tape. I didn't subscribe to Nintendo Power at the time. It must have been, like, on a mailing list from Toys R Us or something. Um, and that's unilaterally what I've seen, like, in the comments of all these YouTube clips. So, like, I don't know how I had this, but I did. It was great, you know. Um, but it, it was really cool. And it, it was the first of this series of these, like, just crazy like to the max hype videos hyping up nintendo's biggest hit biggest release of that year um mario never got one of these tapes it was always the like second tier games you know the yeah. ones that like we need to really hype this because like they don't need to do it for zelda Mar- they need to do it for mario. mario didn't mario and zelda didn't didn't no. need help you don't need yeah. they don't need the help right um but I, I truly, like, this, I don't know if Donkey Kong would have been nearly as successful as it was without this without this VHS. I think this promotional tape, while insane and probably very expensive, was massively successful. What, such, a, such a good idea. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, and I'll talk about a few of the other promotional tapes. My personal favorite, so a lot of these, while the Donkey Kong Country was the one that started it, a lot of these tapes were in the Nintendo 64 era. And again, because Nintendo 64 had one new game every six months, they could do that. <laughs> um, the most famous one and my personal favorite being the Star Fox 64 promotional tape, which if you thought like if you watch the Donkey Kong Country one and think that's buck wild, the Star Fox 64 one is shot, insane. Is insane. It's absolutely insane. It, it, wild. Is, it is shot as though it is like uh, uh, like a like an episode of MacGyver. Um, these these two bumbling idiots kidnap a fighter pilot, <laughs> and the two bumbling idiots are supposed to represent Sony and Sega, and the fighter pilot, the cool heroic fighter pilot, is represents Nintendo, and they all work for the different game companies, but they're also criminals and fighter pilots. It's fine, and and they're like interrogating this guy and they're like they're 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 torturing this this fighter pilot Nintendo developer <laughs> but like they're doing so by putting a a rubber puppet of rubber doll of Mario in a in a um what is it? like in a, a clamp a vice clamp <laughs> a vice, vice clamp. Yes. yeah he's like don't do it to Mario no <laughs> and he's like star and then it and then it cue like super hype footage like Star Fox 64 is the next great adventure blah, 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 you know and then, uh, and then they they take it another level, and they include this like weird scientist character, who introduces the Rumble Pack. But like <laughs> the two guys that are that are interrogating these men, 
are like the two guys from home alone. Right. Like the one guy has yeah. this like shitty Brooklyn accent and that's where they're like, you're telling me this here rumble pack <laughs> makes it feel like it's so good. And the other guy like is trying to hide his Canadian accent because neither of them are obviously actors at all. <laughs> they're going to finish so, this gig and then they're going to immediately go kidnap 99 other Dalmatians. Yes. Is, what, <laughs> yes. is what these guys are doing. I, I did not see this until today that like Mario in a vice grip, like, <laughs> it's tor- so like funny. it's been referenced so many times in other things. And I thought it was just like, wow. yeah. like a, a joke about, Gotcha. Enhanced interrogation, but I no, mean, I, it is weirdly a reference to this Star Fox <laughs> sixty four ten minute commercial that yeah. got mailed to to Midwesterners' it, homes. I cannot tell you how many times I watched these two VHSs. <laughs> I can't wow. tell you. I knew there was a time in my life where I knew both of these like the back of my fucking hands. <laughs> So, yeah, so there were some other VHS promotional tapes in the N64 era. Um, other ones, that, none of these had the meteoric rise that these two did, but they did one for Diddy Kong Racing that was, like, a weird, like, daily show news roundup thing. Um, they did a Banjo-Kazooie hmm. one, which was a lot more, like, straight. Um, they did a Majora's Mask one, although I don't remember ever getting that one. And then they did two kind of just, like, sizzle reel ones. So at the time, right, like, PlayStation had come out. PlayStation would do the the jam packs, where you'd have all the demos, like you could get yeah. like, pay five bucks mm-hmm. and get a demo disc. Mm-hmm. And N sixty four never did that because they used expensive cartridges. So this was like their kind of version of that. Um, so there was a couple just like again played straight, just like sizzle reels um, of like here's some sure. footage of some games coming out. So yeah, really cool. Um, again, that that was you know this is how you promoted stuff in the mid nineties. So talking about the N sixty four. September 1996 marked the dawn of 3D gaming, at least for Nintendo, and with it, Super Mario 64 graced the cover image in the September issue. So by 1997, Nintendo Power was now juggling the Game Boy, the Game Boy Pocket, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, (laughs) and Virtual Boy, because Virtual Boy, may I remind you, was still a thing, and they were selling that bad boy hard. (laughs) Um, I had the Virtual Boy, like, release issue that was just all about virtual boy and i wanted that wow so bad so you know the way that they the way they breaking been breaking out things by console just wasn't possible anymore not sustainable Mm -hmm. um january 1997 todd mentioned or maybe kyle mentioned the spine art so january 1997 was the first issue that utilized the art on the spine um which you know made this thing like a very like increased its collectability for for years to come yeah Mm -hmm. so i definitely joined around then because I either joined partway through a character being put in the art or right before it happened. Yeah, me too. So then by the late 90s, maps and strategy guys were definitely still a focus. You you had your your walkthroughs, you had your your early game maps, things like that. Um, Those, but then those SNES era comics, like the Link to the Past stuff, that what began to go away they didn't really fall they didn't keep that through post like star fox um that would give way to more featurey type content so now we see the magazine go from strategy guide to more of an 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 actual legitimate magazine and this is where we start getting behind the scenes previews interviews um there was a whole thing about the nintendo 64's launch in japan 
um, there would eventually be, you know, um, videos or not videos, but like pictures and images and reports from Space World. If you remember things like the Super Mario 128 thing from, you know, from 19 or 2000, right? Like um, the the, oh, yeah. the pictures of Legend of Zelda, the like after Ocarina of Time, the gritty Legend of Zelda that would eventually become mm-hmm. Wind Waker, right? These were, that was the type mm. of content that we started to see in Nintendo Power. Um, also like images of games that never came out, um, a full color thing on Zelda 64 that, that ended up being Ocarina of Time, um, games that would never see the light of day, Earthbound 3, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like this is, this is the point at which Nintendo Power started to swing in that direction. Uh, in September of 1997, Nintendo Power published its 100th issue, which included this massive feature listing the top 100 games of all time. Coincidentally, all of them were Nintendo. Um, <laughs> shocking. <laughs> shocking. Super Mario 64, A Link to the Past, and Tetris were numbers 1, 2, and 3, respectively. And then finally, in 1998, Gail Tilden was replaced as editor-in-chief by Leslie Swan, who actually had worked there several years in localization because localization and marketing at the time were just hand in hand. Um, interestingly enough, Leslie Swan also provided the voice for Princess Peach for several years, starting with Super Mario 64. So she's wow. the one who baked you a cake. Oh, neat. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, right? Uh, Kyle, what about what do you got? Let's talk about some issues. Yeah, so um, notice, notable issues from this era. We've got the Super Mario World um, issue, uh, September 1991. This was the first SNES game covered, not previewed, but covered by Nintendo Power, uh, kicking off the SNES era of the magazine. It also featured a celebrity interview um, from a character from a, at the time, up-and-coming show, <laughs> Bart Simpson. Incredible. Um, oh, a fictionalized so uh, celebrity oh, interview celebrity with Bart interview. Simpson. And you know just like somebody just wrote that. It's not like they had like, oh, a yeah. writer from The Simpsons. Um, they were just like, they one, just wrote this. One of, the, one of the questions that stood out was like, was... Um, like Bart, we we see on on your show that you are a big fan of video games. What do you what do you think we could do to make video games better for you? It was just like, I think video games should be louder and more obnoxious. Like it was <laughs> right. just like like very 1991 Bart Simpson, um, just real funny stuff. Um, the next one I have here is the Super Castlevania Four issue, January 1992. Uh, this was. This issue brought in a new year, and it they changed up a whole lot of the the layout stuff Andrew was talking about for this issue. This is the first one with the spine art, I guess, and all of that. Um, but it introduced the um, ser- the serialized comics, the Link's Awakening comic, and the um, Super Mario comic. Um, Nintendo would do these um, like long serialized stories. Um, broken up th- over many issues on and off throughout its uh, run. They did a Pokemon one for a while that was just like a retelling of the anime. Um, they tried a like a novel. They tried to put a like chapter by chapter novel in the in the issues at one point. That's it was wild. not very good. Children um, famously <clears throat> into novels. Yeah. Famously into novels, yes. That's really funny. Um, but this kicked that kicked all of that off and again, like kicked off the spine art, the the like merging of all of the different like um, game consoles into just like one magazine all kicked off January nineteen ninety two. Um the next one I have, we skip ahead a few years to October 1995. 
Um, this is the Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island issue. Um, and this one is interesting and fun because it started one of the longest reply threads in the magazine's run. Um, started by reader Sarah Labrie. Um, she wrote in complaining of the portrayal of women in video games at the time in 1995. Wow. wow. Um Sarah and other readers would debate back and forth, just like in the letters to the editor page, um, like a month and a letter at a time for <laughs> years after this. Um, and it was all started with this letter. I'm going to read it. Um, so it's, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick of video games always showing girls in dresses with big pink bows in their hair. I mean, come on. In real life, we are far from being the delicate, prissy, male-dependent bimbos that the big companies seem to think we are. Uh, we don't need a male to save us every five minutes. We don't scream at every spider that passes by us. And most of us prefer not to waltz around in little string bikinis. And as far as video games go, the girls in my sixth grade class can take any challenge the boys can dish out. Our game of choice isn't Barbie either. Earthworm Jim, Donkey Kong Country, Killer In Instinct, and Star Fox are among our favorites. Sarah Labrie, Egan, Minnesota. Um... 1995, uh, first ever like girls in video games debate started, and it was in the pages of Nintendo Power, um, and it was just it was very cool. I like flipped through some future issues, and there were people replying like, uh, "Sarah, you forgot about like Samus Aran is a girl, and Zelda like does some stuff sometimes." And then other people come in and it's like, "Yeah, Sarah, like keep keep speaking up for us. Good job." Um, just very that. very cool stuff. We um I I think Todd mentioned the uh, fan art, but this image also has a little bit of a clip of some fan art <laughs> yes. too, which I kind of forgot how like really intricate and like just cool right. this fan art was. It was really good. And if you yeah, look, that very good. Well, and if you look, this one was definitely on a letter because it's the address to Nintendo Power is there in the corner. Like someone yep. wrote whatever they were gonna write and then <clears throat> addressed this letter and did art on it. Yeah. Um. Next issue I wanted to bring up is the 1996 Happy New Year and you spelled N U year um, issue. Uh, this is a this was a big feature on the um, yet to be released Nintendo 64 at the time, going by the code name Nintendo Ultra 64. Ah. Um, this is the first issue that had screenshots of Super Mario 64, uh, giving players their first real look at like actual 3D game gameplay shots um it also had renderings from the then titled legend of zelda 64 and a demo um called kirby bowl 64 which oh, was like a like a bowling game featuring kirby oh, one of the hmm. interestingly enough sim on a similar note one of the sizzle reel P vhs tapes had footage for kirby's air ride for the N64. Wow. Because nice. I guess that was supposed to be a late stage N64 game and it got hmm. rebuilt into a GameCube game. Wow. I, can I cannot that. imagine mm -hmm. playing Kirby's Air Ride. Right? <laughs> right. That sounds right. miserable. Um, some other things they really hyped up the full 360 analog joystick on the N64 controllers and really loved showing the, um, the controller, which was like finished by that time. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a very cool write up on the N64. Um, the other one, and this is over the span of a few issues, um, we talked about in our Pokemania flavor text, um, how red and blue were not 
immediate successes and needed time to build a fan base um, for this game on the Game Boy, which was like at the end of its life cycle at this point. And Nintendo Power was really big in helping generate that buzz in um, North America and the West. Um, it featured a, it just did a like feature on how popular the game was in Japan um, in its 1997, July 1997 issue, with like the page after its big E3 coverage article. So it was like, when this is done, um, here's Pokemon. And it just talked about how like, people were collecting these monsters and battling teams and like featured these screenshots that weren't even translated into English yet. Um, generating hype for this game, making a market so it could come over. Um, then they followed it up in May of 1998 with a feature, um, like a whole, did a whole write up on like Pokemon is coming to the U S here's what it means. Here's the characters. Here's poke what Pokemon are like, blah 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 and then they did a six issue insert from october 1998 to january 1999 it was like a mini magazine within the magazine you could rip out and if you put collected all six of those issues together um you had what was essentially the full red and blue (laughs) guide that would later become the official nintendo power guide um it was like the full walkthrough Minus the Pokedex that was in the guide. Um, Hmm. um, And then the last one from this era, this is towards the end of the SNES cycle. This, sorry, Kyle, this is a core memory. This is a core memory unlocked. (laughs) Um, Weirdly enough, I think this is the first issue I had of Nintendo Power. I'm pretty, like, I was looking through, I remember the Donkey Kong 64 issue was my first like okay. is one and that's the first one i remember um in november 1999 the first ad for songbird ocarinas awesome. appeared in nintendo power <laughs> um songbird ocarinas would become nintendo power's longest running ad purchaser and purchased monthly ads in nintendo power from november of 1999 in its first appearance through its final issue in december of 2012 um i'll throw another one very similar to this i'm going to throw it in our notes okay um if you just follow that their link in the notes it's to a twitter or a tweet of the one of the giveaways that they had done in the year 2000 of the majora's mask fishbone (laughs) guitar yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Ocarina wow. is definitely a core memory because it ran for so long. But I remember this giveaway in, in the year 2000 thinking, well, I'm going to win this guitar. <laughs> and, yeah. and this is going to change my life in such a way that I will become the best guitar player ever. Thank you yeah. to this contest that I most certainly <laughs> will win. Yeah. Dude, I have to say, like, if you're songboard, Songbird Ocarina, do you need to spend your marketing money anywhere else? No. Like, can this no. one print page in Nintendo Power do everything? Because, like, I had a lot of friends who purchased this very Ocarina. I wanted this, this very Ocarina so bad. And they sold, and they, I mean, they did well enough. They started selling other models. Um, they started selling... Like, this one is ceramic. You could then, they made a cheaper plastic. They made a, like, small version, a pocket ocarina. Like, they had all kinds of stuff by the time. Ocarina. Yeah. 
I will point out that you had to order it. Um, it is you can order it by internet, phone, or fax, um, <laughs> and, it, and it was a a professional instrument for only thirty six fifty, um, which is very fun. That's you know, still like two hundred fifty dollars today. I did notice something <laughs> really interesting. This goes back a little bit, but when we watched that uh, that Star Fox VHS video, I noticed that at the end. You know, they just say, like, visit us online at starfox.com or something like that. And that was, what What year did that come out? Was that 96 or 98? 97. 97. Well, in the middle of the two things I said. (laughs) But Maddie and I are watching Big Brother 2000 uh, on Plus right now. And, I mean, at least three times an episode they talk about their online presence but nope. this was the year 2000, and that means that they had to explain the internet every time. So every yeah. time they're like, America Online is our internet partner. You visit us online at w- yep. or visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bigbrother.com <laughs> uh, or key- this- AOL keyword. Big Brother. AOL keyword. That's and I just thought say. it was yep. so wildly interesting that, like, this Star Fox ad from three years before Big Brother was like, you kids know how the internet works, just to like really prove yeah. that their target market was the early adopter so of all my, of this technology. My thought during the whole uh, VHS thing was they were very smart. 1997, it was not guaranteed that everyone necessarily had a VHS player, but people who did people who played video games likely did and it was like oh they understand their target market target market uh very cool yeah i assume when the toys r us men in black had came to record my address that they also <laughs> had written down the night of vhs but um anyway uh we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna talk about the 2000s and the decline of print journalism Stay tuned. uh And now, a spectacular express spooky review read. This review titled, Un Questions with Wild Answers. If you've ever wanted to ponder strange scenarios about video games and comic books, then boy howdy is this podcast for you. Even after four years of listening, I continue to be excited about the content that is debated on this show and the wild takes presented here as answers. Plus, their Flavor Tech series puts in the work for a deep dive on a topic so you don't have to. This has been a Spooktacular Express Spooky Review Read. Okay, so let's talk about the the aughts, the early aughts. So by the time GameCube launched in late 2001, everyone will remember, who anyone who played video games at the time will remember, Nintendo was in a very weird spot. I don't think anyone could argue that the Nintendo 64 wasn't a commercial success, but its insistence on expensive cartridges versus CDs, the wide berth between releases, and the almost non-existent third-party support gave rise to some stiff competition in the form of Sony in 1995, and then Microsoft later at the turn of the millennium. 
gamers, like a lot of us, were growing up and demanding the more mature and cinematic experiences that the PS2 and Xbox could offer. This was just the, the sea change of the industry. Gaming was becoming more expensive, mm-hmm. more cinematic, more everything. And along with that change, Nintendo Power also ha- saw its increased competition. By 2000, we mentioned game facts. People could just easily, you know, most people had evolved past AOL keywords that can just go on the internet and find tips and tricks online for free. And they could get the ASCII art along with it in game facts. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were, you know, there became a point where you would no longer need to shell out 15 bucks for this like elaborate printed player's guide. It was, they were nice to have, but this was a Christmas thing at best, right? Or like, hey, I really mm-hmm. like this game. I'll get the player's guide. Um, furthermore, we start to see more and more independent magazines. Um, at You know, in the 90s, we didn't really talk about what else was there, but it was really just like GamePro, which GamePro, GamePro is fun, but it was like the fox of, <laughs> of video game mags. <laughs> like, it was a joke, right? Like, fun factor. Um but GamePro is there. But then we start to see other, like, more, more like, serious, reputable magazines, like Electronic Gaming Monthly, Game Informer. Game Informer got bought by GameStop and became, like, the thing. If you subscribe yeah. to Game, if you had a membership with GameStop, you just got Game Informer, right? Yeah. <clears throat> we also saw these, like, other official, we saw official Xbox magazine. PlayStation official magazine. PC Gamer. PC Gamer still, I think, still exists today. It was today online. Yeah. So like these are all these things start coming out. So now Nintendo Power has some very very real competition, and furthermore, then we start to see, we start to see online news sites. IGN IGN starts in early late nineties. One up dot or uh, early early two thousands. One up dot com. Um, we saw there's a whole ass cable news network <laughs> called G four TV that pops right. up. That's Man. doing reviews and all kinds. So. Right, so very very quickly we are just inundated with gaming content from all sides yeah uh, not to mention this... that the rise of youtube happened right around the same time as all of yeah this i mean well. five years later five years after yep. the gamecube's launch we see youtube mm-hmm. right so it's just it's just a different world um around the turn of the millennium scott pellin took over as editor-in-chief of nintendo power and also led a few dr- pretty dramatic redesigns throughout the early aughts um, the first is one that Kyle mentioned right at the top of the episode. Issue 150, which I think you're going to talk about, 151. This accompanied the, the GameCube's launch at the end of, of uh, 2001 in November. Um, this would remove a lot of the, let's call it busy artwork, <laughs> and a lot yeah. of the, like, you know, the cosmopolitan style, like, headline, 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 and, like, everything's in different fonts, and, like, you mm-hmm. know, it... it all written askew right it it got rid of a lot of that stuff and and adopted a much more like simple minimalist approach 2000s Um, modernism right there baby 2000s modernism. oh yeah that's right that's right listen as a frequent viewer of hgtv i can talk a lot about the style (laughs) changes so and then on the on the on the notice style changes there was yet another style change in 05 that would late 2000s or early 2000s modernized the Nintendo Power logo as well. So we had two kind of major redesigns in the, in the, the mid-2000s. Um, by this time, the published content had also started to shift away from that strategy guide format, right? Again, like mm-hmm. no longer is Nintendo Power the source for tips and tricks. Um, 
we this now we now start to see the like fully fledged marketing and PR arm of Nintendo of America, the Nintendo Power that we that people remember Nintendo Power being. Early aughts issues would see more interviews with developers and other industry figures. We start to see like interviews with profiles of Miyamoto. Um, we would see like you know an interview with Koji Kondo who wrote the Mario music. Right, it's starting to kind of put names to the faces. Um, mm-hmm. Starting to figure, it, it would also feature people like in Rare, right? Like uh, you know, Rare is huge in the N sixty four days. So like featuring like Chris Stamper from Rare and some of those those guys as well because these were all Nintendo employees. Um, and it also, I wanted to note, and Kyle, this might be, this you might remember this too, um, the Nintendo, the sponsored programmer like training academy called DigiPen. Yeah. Which oh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. yeah, filed in the things that Andrew wanted to be when he grew up right. as one game counselor, two DigiPen person. You know, yeah. The, yeah. The school that I never was allowed to, I was never, my parents never shelled out the money for is go to, go to DigiPen. But that was that was all over. I like mm-hmm. five or six episodes I, or issues I looked at around this time. Digipen, Digipen, Digipen. Um, so some of the older staples like Counselor's Corner, classified information, these start getting axed around the GameCube era, due in part again to forum online forums like GameFAQs, but also due to the fact that like by two thousand one, most games didn't have cheat codes anymore. Like this just wasn't a thing. This- this is the era of the Game Shark. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the decline of the Game Shark, even. Yeah. You this know, is you, the I, era that I think of as aesthetic cheat codes, right? Like your big mm-hmm. head modes, your paintball modes, your, your things yeah. like that being the yeah. quote-unquote cheats of yeah. video games. Yeah. Cheats, no cheats no and- more 30 live codes yeah they're, and, and and when i say cheat codes they're you know they weren't codes anymore right there wasn't yeah like, it wasn't like button presses that you put on the menu it's just unlockables like i think of gta 3 is one of the last of this generation to have cheat codes and those were just like things that you could unlock at the end of the game to like to make you keep playing you know yeah I mean? yeah so there just wasn't really a need for that stuff anymore um the the magazine also and, and so Matt mentioned this before the break. This is where we start to see the like visit us online, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, ask your parents permission, right? Like it's those right. kinds of things. So we start to see more and more video game websites. Um, Nintendo Power is also putting stuff on online themselves, and we start seeing a lot more of that. Um, Kyle, what issues are what issues do we want to talk about in this? Era? So I I will um I will make Andrew throw a copy of the uh, issue 150 issue 150 the Luigi's Mansion cover just because it is like very emblematic mm-hmm. of this change um this is one i definitely have in my parents house yeah, um yep it's it's i i i would put it up there it's an iconic yeah, a very iconic um, really Nintendo good. Power cover um oh it, yeah yeah announcing yeah. announcing the the launch of the GameCube. Um, I, you know, this, this issue and the next one I'll talk about just very much solidified. Like I will, I will kill a family member to get a GameCube. Like that was my (laughs) mentality in 2001. And um, I didn't have to kill a family member to do it, but I did eventually get a GameCube and um, it was very, very formative for me. Um, The next, the one I originally wanted to talk about is the, following one 151 december 2001 issue the super smash bros 
uh, melee cover. Um, this is not my first issue. This was not my first issue of Nintendo Power. I think I said that is the November 1999 one. But um, everything building up to the release of Super Smash Bros. Melee is like stuff I will remember forever. And this issue is one of them. It had uh, details on the opening 14 uh, fighters you started with. And I like had those stats and like moves <laughs> memorized yeah, just yeah. from reading it so that was much. taped up on your bedroom wall. Uh-huh. It talked about like... Um, like classic mode and um, adventure mode in there and t- stuff too. Um, it also had preview guides for Pikmin and Crazy Taxi. To, um, Pikmin, which wouldn't be released for another few months, and Crazy Taxi was one of its like um, just normal guides, but uh, Crazy Taxi was also a, a launcher early title release for the GameCube. Um, and it was very cool. Um, the next one I have is the November 2002 issue, the Metroid Prime cover. Um, I wanted to include this just because, like, it is an amazing write-up on Metroid Prime. It's a very good, like, in-depth start and, like, transition from of the series from 2D to 3D after many games had already made their 3D transition. Um, and the cover just looks so cool let me one thing that i noticed while you pull that up kyle and mm-hmm. I, I noticed this at this point that we start to see like nintendo power starts to utilize promotional art versus like everything before even the n64 era all of the covers they were really nice but they were all like original art and yes. they all looked very different from the games right mm-hmm. and because nintendo power was essentially a nintendo catalog it made sense, and, and as it started to be more become like a Nintendo catalog, it just made sense with the brand to use the actual prom- promo art. Also, the yeah. games got a lot prettier, so it was you know it was an easy that was an easy switch to make. Yes, um, Hi- highlight your your new cool art. Mm-hmm. Um, the oh, the yeah. cover is great. Um, I'm also thinking of the pullout. The pullout poster was mm-hmm. the the really cool image from this um, this one. Uh, but the other reason I wanted to include it, because I was this was one I kind of looked leafed through online as well. Um, it I found the start of one of the longest running arguments that I remember being present for the beginning of. Uh, this issue revealed the first screenshots of Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker, oh, and good. the following issue. Letters to the editor section kicked <laughs> off the Wind Waker is too cartoony debate Love it. that uh, plagues us to this day still. That's awesome. Um, the original I, Gamergate, I have, if you will. The original <laughs> well, Gamergate, yeah. if, if, if the uh, If the Yoshi's Island if, one wasn't the original Gamergate. Yes. Oh, fair. Right. Um, yeah. But I have very clear memories of like seeing those first images and being like, oh, cool, like New Legend of Zelda, how great, and then seeing the like hate emails come in about how right. they would, would be skipping it because it's so cartoony um i also wanted to include um a picture of of alan the slime um during during this era i d- couldn't find exactly when but alan Averill became an editor one of the editors of the magazine and rather than submit a picture um he claimed he was very camera shy he opted to be represented by a slime p- plush from the game Dragon Quest. And the this blue slime plush would go on to be a long-running like visual gag and mascot for Nintendo Power after this, like in the back half of it. 
and it all started like during the same time um while while i was reading the magazine and it was very cool i i could, again fun. couldn't find the first one but i definitely remember the first like and, i'm alan i don't want to share my picture like am i remembering correctly <laughs> didn't he like wear glasses sometimes too yeah Okay. Yeah, like when he when he, when he would answer his more serious letters or something <laughs> yeah, right. in the slime, they'd put glasses <laughs> on the really slime. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I nobody. Uh, I, I never knew what that was. Like I just was like, okay, because like <laughs> who who knew what Dragon Quest was that like wasn't super into RPGs by that point? Which I yeah, yeah. Um, I still don't Alan, know what Dragon Quest is so exactly. Alan Averill would go on to be um, uh, a big localizer for Nintendo as well after he left nintendo um that was something i found trying to find when he started and when this gag began and i couldn't find it um because cool. i spent too much time looking for that um songbird ocarina <laughs> <laughs> well you you did you put all your work in the right places kyle um cool all right let's talk about the last era the decline and the eventual death of nintendo power um all of this coincides with Nintendo. Todd, put in some sad music here. Yeah, right. Some sad license-free music. Yeah, let's get the Incredible Hulk uh, closing credit. <laughs> um, this would also coincide with Nintendo's dark period. Um, and much like everything with Nintendo, signal, signaling the death of something with the year of Luigi. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so by the late aughts, gaming content, as we all now remember in the cultural zeitgeist, had almost had gone most exclusively digital, almost exclusively digital. We've got not only all of the online publications are rolling, we've got the onset of social media like Twitter. This would effectively cement online journalism as pretty much the de facto. And I mean, that's where we are today, right? Like... I get my news from Twitter, right? That's that's kind of mm. where we're at. At yeah. time of recording, you get your news from Twitter. Well, that's fair, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this would, you know, jam the last nail in the proverbial co- coffin that was print journalism and magazines. Um, now, again, like, we all, we all remember this being a fairly slow decline. Magazines, you can still find magazines at grocery stores, obviously, today. And, you know, they're not going anywhere, but, like, we're not making a lot of money from magazines right now, and they're a pale a pale imitation of what. Unfortunately, they yeah, were. mostly ads. Um, and you know, this is where we start to see magazines are on the decline. They're operating by these like skeleton crews. A comp- a couple companies are making every single magazine, and so you know, in September of two thousand seven. We've got another casualty. About one year into the Wii's release, Nintendo of America announced that Nintendo Power had been sold to a company called Future US, which was a subsidiary of Future, a British like mega-huge uh, media conglomerate. Um, Future would continue to publish Nintendo Power on behalf of Nintendo, but it was owned by Future US. Um Future U.S., again, the U.S. affiliate of this of this British company, headquartered in San Francisco, um, before taking over Nintendo Power, like I said, like they have made a bunch of magazines. They had already, they had published official Xbox magazine and were simultaneously publishing PlayStation, the official magazine. So you've got effectively one company doing all of the Everything. print press. It's a real Infinity Gauntlet kind of situation. Right? Yeah. Pretty much. Now, now again, like, these aren't these aren't these aren't journalism 
These aren't like independent. This is not like owning IGN and you know at One Up, right? These are these are all promotional. These are these are ads. These are advertising. So it's no different than being a PR company and doing PR for one company and its competitor, right? Like that's what these are. These are promotional marketing efforts. Yeah. So um, by this point. Uh, in, 20, in 2007, Scott Pelland resigned, who um, had been the editor-in-chief at the time, and he was replaced by a man named Chris Slate, who um, took over on Future's first issue in December of 2007. This is issue 222. And Chris Slate would continue on as editor-in-chief until right before the end of Nintendo Power in 2012. So... When we talk about decline, right, just to get a sense of where things were at this point, again, we've already, we stated at the top of the episode, none of us were reading Nintendo Power at, th- at this point. Like, it just, you know, we were, mm-hmm. we had moved on. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, had moved on. The news release that announced, that announced this sale also mentions that the original print run for the December 2007 issue was about 300,000. You may remember that that's half mm-hmm. of the print run of the first issue of Nintendo Power in wow. Yeah. Wow. So that is unfortunate. It it yeah. is that that one hurts. That one hurts a lot. Um, now I will say though, Future's version of Nintendo Power I think is the best iteration of Nintendo Power. This it is it is the cleanest. It is the most like quote quote unquote professional looking magazine. Because they, you know, it was also was an engine, right? Like they were an actual publication house. This wasn't just a, you know, a fun bunch of marketers that are just like, yeah, fuck it, we're a game counselor, right? Like this is this is this is now like an uh, uh, this is an, a thing. This is what they do. Um, so therefore, Nintendo Power post two thousand seven, it looks just like any other gaming magazine that you'd find on store shelves. You got your reviews, you got your previews, you got your cover story, right? It's following the formula. Um, in addition to the usual sales charts that you had been seeing at this point, Nintendo Power started including a most wanted list for the Wii Virtual Console because, again, like hmm. downloadable content was becoming a thing, and there was yeah, no way to yeah. track that demand in sales figures because a lot of that was just like downloadable stuff. And uh, interestingly enough, Nintendo Power would really lean into this, especially in the later years during the DSiWare and WiiWare era, where they yeah. would really like promote a lot of these you know, downloadable games that didn't get a lot of press, which I, I think is really cool. Um, in 2008, um, right when they come, when Future started taking over, they also began releasing a retail version of covers with just like the lists of games, cu- titles, like the titles that they're going to cover to kind of, again, to match the format of like Game Informer, EGM things. Um, but then they would also release subscriber versions with the, all that text omitted. And this goes back to, again, we see a lot of the, like, subscriber versions versus the mm-hmm. newsstand versions. This is the next iteration of that. Is subscribers get the clean cover art, um, but the retail versions get the, like, now in this issue, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, they'd also done away with uh, the er- the mid to the the late GameCube era Nintendo powers when they changed the, when they updated the logo. They started doing this, like, kind of clunky sidebar so they would do these like full color beautiful cover art images and then they cover up with like this weird sidebar Ugh. that had like really small thumbnails of screenshots so they did away mm. with that because that that didn't really work but so then so now we're in late late aughts early 2010s we um fast forward to the nintendo ds launch in 2010 
um, we see a very consistent 2000s, late 2000s, early 2010 version of Nintendo Power. Um, Reader Mail, still in there, still going strong. Um, this has been renamed the Pulse section, or Player Pulse, rather. Um, news had had come uh, come and gone and had eventually been replaced with the section called Power Up, which, like, of course, sure. Um, most review of the reviews and the features, that stuff would remain intact and would support the remainder of the Wii's life cycle. However, as they say, all good things and also print journalism must come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, the, the 3DS launched in 2010. Oh, my gosh. Not so the sorry. regular DS. Yep. Regular DS was much earlier. <laughs> yes, thank you. 3DS. 3DS was in 2010? I thought it was in 2013. No. 2010. Oh. I, was, I was I had to look. I was like, 20? Yeah, I that, was thanks. playing my DS in high school. That, okay. doesn't, that okay. math doesn't uh, yeah, that, that math tracks. out. Fair enough. 3DS, thank you. So in August of 2012, Nintendo announced the end of Nintendo Power. And so issue 285 released in December 2012 was the final issue. That's right, y'all. It has been 10 years since Nintendo Power Wow. Wow. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that hurts so bad. Um, And Kyle will cover it here in a bit. Um, In a very, very cool uh, homage to the first issue, Future recreated the iconic Super Mario Bros. 2 Claymation cover art to promote a new game. Coincidentally, that was New <laughs> Super Mario Bros. 2 for the 3DS. It's pretty good. That's yeah. I mean, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had 3DS in here. So, so there you go. Um, Nintendo, so post-Nintendo Power's death, um, Nintendo as a company in their very, very on-brand oh. method have judiciously copyright-stricken any and all attempts to digitally mm-hmm. archive old issues of Nintendo Power online. Um, Kyle mentioned there are some stuff on archive. We will not link to that because I do not want to be the death. I don't want to cause the death of that um, because as recently as mid-November of this year, a Kotaku article came out. Literally, like, while Kyle and I were researching, this Kotaku article came out and was <laughs> like, hey, real quick, we found a Reddit thread that, sh- that showed that you can access any issue of Nintendo Power. By the time I clicked that link, that link was it gone. Was dead. Yeah. Dead. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Kotaku, which is also an incredibly <laughs> on-brand move from Kotaku. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want to throw in and say real quick, uh, the Video Game History Foundation is working mm. on archiving um, all of Nintendo Power. And yeah. the last that I heard, awesome. which I don't keep up with the podcast super closely, but the last I heard, I think they had all of them uh, and we're okay. working on scanning them and getting uh, some variant covers That's and cool. stuff. Mm. I mean, look, I would pay, I would pay a license to look at old Nintendo powers like yep. easily. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, you can have my money for that. You'd sign up for the Nintendo battle pass. I would not. I would absolutely. The Nintendo power the battle pass. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Nintendo power battle pass. However, good news. Good news is that Nintendo power does live on in different ways today. In December 2017, Nintendo of America began producing the Nintendo Power podcast, which is hosted by former Nintendo Power editor-in-chief Chris Slate. Nice. Hmm. Um, have any of you listened to it? Me. It's me. I do. Yeah. I yeah. have listened it's, to pretty much every episode since it came yeah, out. I it's really good. like it. It's, it's, yeah. it's very much hmm. in the same style. Like It is a Nintendo Power podcast. It's exactly what you expect from a Nintendo Power podcast. Huh. Um, it's good. I listened to it a lot when it first came out. Um, I haven't listened to it lately. 
Uh, but it uh, it's released mostly monthly, more or less monthly. It's very much clear that it's like it's a passion project. It's something the podcast, like I said, podcast is released mo- more or less every month. Um, when it came out, uh, this was around the time that Reggie Fizeme was leaving Nintendo and uh, Doug Bowser was coming in as CEO. This was like late seventeen, early eighteen. Um, so that was like a really good opportunity to get them on. Um, they've also had a lot of the other Nintendo like figures, like um, Kit and Krista, Kit Ellis and Krista Yang, who um, oh, yeah. for a long time were the face of Nintendo of America, like Treehouse and all of the PR stuff. Um, those two have also since left Nintendo, and of course have their own podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, uh, yeah, you can find Nintendo Power podcast on any and all major podcast apps. But if print mags are still your thing. There is another answer. The spiritual successor of the Nintendo Power magazine lives on in the form of Nintendo Force. Um, have you guys seen this or heard of Nintendo Force? No. No. Okay. No. It's pretty cool. Um, Nintendo Force is a completely independent. This is like a passion project, as passion project, um, but it's led by a team of video game journos who all just like wanted to keep Nintendo Power alive. Um, they do like, so you can subscribe to, they have a Patreon, you can subscribe and they do a print magazine every month and they do, it's like the whole thing. So it's like very much a spiritual successor. Um, the magazine has like a ton of industry vets, including um, Nadia Oxford, uh, Oxford, who also happens to co-host one of my favorite podcasts, Acts of the Blood God. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so I've got a link here if you want to check that out. Um, that's nintendoforcemagazine.com or at their Patreon patreon.com slash nintendo force so really cool um kyle let's talk about some of the last issues of nintendo power yeah i'll write us i'll write us out on some some good final issues the first one i have is issue 250 um the link i have is not this is the store um cover the subscription cover features mario um and it's very much celebrating 250 issues of nintendo power um, the whole thing is mostly uh, like listicles. This is the era of the listicle. Um, <laughs> they do like our favorite heroes, uh, which like surprise, surprise, Mario and Link are number two, one and two. Um, <laughs> but they have some really weird like inclusions here. Um, not like Bubsy, we didn't get not we didn't get no Bubsy? no no Bubsy, but Leon Kennedy from the from Resident well, Evil Four. He's a Nintendo hero. The dog from Jet Force Gemini. Um, Travis Touchdown <laughs> from No More Heroes is also included yeah. in this list of of po- favorite Man, heroes. That were um, No More Heroes. They were really so, that was like. Hey, the Wii has mature games. We promise. Yeah. We promise, guys. Um, and you know, they have like came out like this year, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. What about um, Beautiful they... Joe? Was Beautiful yeah. Joe on that list? Be- beautiful <laughs> Joe is is right before Leon Kennedy. Actually, Todd, he's <laughs> oh, number thirteen yeah. on the list. Um, they also have like favorite villains. Um, they do a, a breakdown of the various Nintendo controllers over the years. It's it's. It's all listicles, baby. Um, popular popular mustaches from Nintendo gaming <laughs> history. Um, popular ninjas from Nintendo gaming history. Good. More than half of which are the Ninja Turtles. Um, nice. So, so I, I hesitate to say not as quality content as I came to expect from Nintendo over the years, but also well, you, should, you should maybe not have half your list of ninjas yeah. be 
four of the most popular. Look, I mean, um, it's that, 2009. It's a magazine. It's, you're just, it's, just trying to get through the day, man. <laughs> you're, you're, you're pushing ads. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, the, the other one I wanted to talk about was the second to last issue, issue 284. Um, and this is the only reason I wanted to bring this up is like um, Nintendo Power has a long history of covering uh, games popular and like hidden hidden gems or like popular and less popular. And this one is notable because in, on its second last issue, um, Nintendo Power featured Shantae, uh, uh, what is it? Pirate. Uh, Prince of Pirates or Shantae Crown the of Pirates. Pirates. Curse. The Shantae the Pirate's Curse. Thank you. I had it written it was a down. Good game. I, I love that it. game. It was really good. Um, which, like, Shantae is not a... It's it got a cult following, but it is not a popular franchise by any stretch of the word. And it's featured on their second last cover, which I thought was very cool and, like, very true to Nintendo Power form. Um, and then, finally, we have our fi- the final issue, issue 285. It's got... We've got the uh, claymate, claymated homage to the first cover um, including bowser in place of wart mario is jumping on goombas instead of whatever that instead of i think out of a pipe like in the first one i could scroll up and That's verify just that mushroom. Like a <laughs> just a mushroom just a mushroom but it's even Sorry. got the it's even got like the the star where on the first issue it said free um promotional it says poster inside on the star in the same place it's a very good like recreation of that first issue cover art um, promoting new Super Mario Bros. U, which um, is just a very good tie back to the original. Um, and those were the, the source three. for Nintendo players straight from it, the pros. Straight from the Shit. pros. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where I wanted to to bring us out. Just those three. Um, I didn't read much during that time, so if there's like notable issues from that time that you're mad I didn't include sorry (laughs) (laughs) at him at him personally yeah Um, at me at t squared on twitter remember when we used to do that i'm just trying to figure out uh, i did the conflation calculator to the price of nintendo power and the price of nintendo power actually went down over time um wow yeah and its initial cost was 395 in august of 1988 would have been the same as 762 hmm. in December mm-hmm. of 2012 and the December 2012 issue cost 5.95 so much like video games the price of video of uh, video game content went down over time which is fun same with the quality <laughs> same with the quality <laughs> also it was mostly ads at this point so right, that's also right. probably yeah why. um yeah so that's that's all we've got um final thoughts closing closing thoughts on Nintendo Power uh, I had one other thing real quick. I mentioned the Video Game History Foundation earlier. They have a podcast called the Video Game History Hour, uh, which I really, really enjoy. And back in March, they released an episode. It was episode 75, the Nintendo Power Reunion, uh, which is actually a recording of a ticketed panel event fundraiser that they did. And I knew a lot of this stuff from this flavor text coming in because I listened to this months ago. It's basically just a roundtable with... Gail Tilden, Howard Phillips, Leslie Swan, and Jeff Baffis, Baffis, who I don't know if we talked about today. He's the former sales and marketing manager uh, at Nintendo of America. I'm glad I I got three three of those four people, at least. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. So it's two and a half hours of people telling stories from when 
marketing budgets were much different than they are today. So uh, it's awesome. really cool. It's worth the listen. It's episode 75 of the Video Game History Hour, also available wherever you're listening to this, probably. I think that when I look back on the approximate, I don't know, seven years that I subscribed to Nintendo Power, that throughout those seven years, that Nintendo Power is probably the biggest influence of games that I tried. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, I mean, if it, I think there were probably three influences, maybe four if you count, like, friends that also had games, but, like, friends that had games, Nintendo Power commercials and then whatever was for rent at the video like the 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 (laughs) rental video store uptown and i mean i can think of so many core video game memories and building blocks that i would not have had had i not read about them in nintendo power like specifically earthbound like i would have never played earthbound had i not read about it in nintendo power Mm -hmm. and saw like the weird um art with with master belch like the little goopy guy and i was like i was like all right this is rad i'm in like i just i you know i think i i probably wouldn't have played fantasy star online had i not like seen an ad or something in nintendo power so and that was a defining game of my early high school slash late high school gamecube era um i will say like todd Yes, Nintendo Power is probably, like, the most significant, like, contributor to what games I bought during the era I was, era I was subscribed. Um, I bought, I got Beautiful Joe because of Nintendo Power, and I played two hours of it. Um, like, <laughs> it was a very effective marketing campaign to right. to 12-year-old Kyle. Um, I will also say, I looked, th- I I leafed through... Um, a number of issues, at least 30 issues in preparation for this. Um, some, some of it I read, some of it I leafed through very quickly. Um, and especially in the early era, um, up until like the, the change around the, the GameCube time, um, there was a real passion and like fun. And like, you could just tell the people making this really enjoyed, um, making this content and putting it out there for us. It really comes through in the writing um, in a way that, like, only very recently I see again in video game journalism. Like, video game journalism is once again about, like, what playing the game, like, feels like. And not just, like, how cool games, like, how cool technology has come and, like, what what advances it's making. It's once again back to, like, playing games makes me feel this. And it's very, very cool to see that come back around. Because, like... That's why we all. That's why we're all here today. So, I was going to um, add one more thing. Um, I forgot to add this when we were talking about the letters to the editor. That I vividly remember a story of a kid who lived in some like snowy state. I don't know if it was as far up as Alaska or if just like snowy state land. Anyway, not the point. <laughs> that the kid was talking about how he had been cleaning his room and put his rumble pack on the windowsill and it fell out and he couldn't find it and then it snowed <laughs> and like it spent the oh, whole no. winter outside and it still worked in the spring oh <laughs> yeah dude that was there were all kinds of like console survivor right. stories um i remember one a veteran of the like iraq war the first wave of it um showed his like sent nintendo power a picture of his game boy that like 
survived an IUD blast and like was still playable after that, which um, is very cool. I think it's IED. But IED. That's what I said. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> Whatever. Oh, wow. um, I didn't even think of that. That's really funny. Good. And then the other thing, um, I I forgot to mention it earlier. Another cool thing early Nintendo Power did especially was like it included a high scores list that was oh, entirely yeah. self-reported. Yeah. Um so you just have like so and so from Columbus, Ohio hit a score of 100,000. 69420. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's nothing. Like it was nothing, but it was there in every of those early issues just like some high scores lists and achievement like early achievements too um from games it was very cool i very much recommend going and like google searching for some of these issues because they're not hard to find we won't link to them so they don't get copyright struck but like archive dot archive.com has a lot of them leaf through leaf through one you remember if you remember any because there's it will it will unlock a flood of memories you forgot about Totally. Uh, I'll say to the um, Nintendo.fandom.com has a lot of good mm. information, and it's all just like just thumbnail images, so you're you're safe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll just say just to close this out here, um, my memory of Nintendo Power is absolutely tied to an issue that I had that detailed out that was a big like huge feature preview of super mario's uh super mario rpg um that that magazine got so beat up because it just lived in the bathroom and it was just like (laughs) (laughs) just like just pages and pages that had been wet and dried just from like hand washing and stuff its own ecosystem yeah (laughs) yeah because like it just lived by the toilet um Where all magazines live. Where all magazines live. I mean, who's who's reading a magazine on the couch like a pervert? You're reading it in the. You're reading it while pooping. All right, get over yourselves. Anyway, thanks for listening. To debate this. You can follow along with the arguments on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Debate This Cast, or on our website at debatethiscast.com. Once again, a special thanks goes out to at Bacon Bit Behemoth on the Discord for commissioning today's episode. Once again, beginning in January. You'll be able to commission your own episode of Flavor Text by visiting patreon.com slash debate this cast and subscribing to the master debater level. No longer will you have to subscribe for three months. Nay, nay, only all this requires is a one-time payment of $60. That will immediately grant you Flavor Text commissioning powers for an upcoming episode. Until next time, we are Andrew Henderson. And Kyle Harper. And I am Matt, a 90s marketing budget worth of cocaine coal. <laughs> and I am Todd. You can buy the Debate This Ocarina at songbirdocarina.com backslash debate this. Thomas. <laughs> and we're saying thanks for debating with us. And if you think we're wrong, you can come fight us behind the swing sets, nerds. Todd, I'm going to give you a clean cut of cocaine budget because I, I choked when I said cocaine. So you can pop that Throw, in if you throw want a to. couple more in there. Cocaine budget. Cocaine budget. Cocaine budget. There you go. Wonderful. Matt, were you were you paid by cocaine <laughs> big bear? Cocaine, <laughs> big cocaine budget. budget. Yeah. <laughs>